Hello, this is Dale Davis, and I'm about to get the testimony of my life before I found this wonderful truth and was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I do not tell these things today and put this on this cassette tape to glory and some of the awful things that I'm about to tell. But I simply have done this recording so that people can see and understand that how great our God really is and how wonderful He is and how powerful that He is and how that His power has not diminished in any shape, form, or fashion. And the reason I'm giving this testimony today is to try to help build faith in the hearts of those that are filled with the Holy Ghost that if they will pray and seek the face of God that they too can also have their request and that our God is able to deliver those that we look at and say, well, there's no hope for them. But because somebody prays, because somebody carries a burden, and because somebody cares, and they bring the petitions that they have to the throne of God, God will answer and God will deliver, and God will set people free. And the old man that used to do these things, he's not alive anymore, but he's dead. He was buried almost a little over five years ago in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And now, thank God, there's a new man walking in my shoes. But I tell this story and this testimony today that people can see that our God is still a deliverer. Our God is still the Savior. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we will dare to step out and kick our doubt and our unbelief out the door and step out in faith and say, God, I believe you, our God will do it for us. As I begin to tell this testimony today, I pray that you will listen with interest and try to understand that our God is able to deliver people if we'll believe Him. I was 19 years old when I began to work at the airport in North Little Rock, Arkansas. I worked there in the, at the airport. I fueled the airlines there in Little Rock. The time that I wasn't at work, I stayed drunk most of the time. I had no meaning in my life. I had no direction. I didn't really understand what in the world I was even doing in this world. After working, I say you go to work at 5 o'clock in the morning and getting off sometimes at 10 and 11 o'clock at night. I worked because I didn't have nothing else to do. But, you know, I started drinking real heavy, and it wasn't too long until I started running around, I guess you could say, with the wrong group of people. One of my friends whose name was Stanley, he told me, said, Dale, he says, try this. And he says, you'll throw that whiskey bottle away. And I went on my first LSD trip, acid trip. It was what they call a, a white microdot. I remember it very well. And I went on my first acid trip, and I throwed my whiskey bottle down, and I began to take acid. And I guess you could say I become an acid head. And I would take acid once and twice every week, and I began to smoke pot. I smoked pot almost every night, and I drank and smoked and did acid. And... I seen some of my friends one time as I walked into a trailer house. Uh, Stanley was sitting at the table and somebody had a belt around his arm. And he was about to stick a needle into his vein and shoot up some dope. And I seen that that day and I said, I'll never do that to myself. I'll never do that. But you know, it wasn't long after that. The rock concerts, one right after the other. Going to the hippie dens and seeing people shoot up and smoking pot and being with the wrong crowd and the wrong people so long. You know, we went night after night, party after party, one good time right after the next. But you know, one night, all the drugs, they were there, and everybody was having a good time, and, and everybody that was there that were my friends, they had gotten a needle, and they began to shoot up. 
And it, you know, it wasn't about two or three months after I said, I'll never do that. I found myself in someone's apartment. And this girl that I had been living with and several other young men that were there, they were all taking turns shooting each other up with heroin. And they said, come on, Dale, try it. And I thought to myself, no, I don't want to stick a needle in my arm. I don't want to go that road. I don't want to do that thing. But they kept talking to me and tried to convince me how good it would make you feel and how wonderful it would make you feel. So finally they talked me into it and they rolled my sleeve up and they put a belt around my arm and, and had me to pump my vein up so they could see it real good. And, and they took it and they, they took some heroin and they stuck it in a spoon and they squirted a little water on it out of the needle and they stirred it up real good. And then they took a, a match and, and warmed that up a little bit underneath the spoon. Then they stirred it up and, and then they took a, a cigarette and they took the cotton out of the filter of a cigarette and they dropped it in the spoon. And they took that needle and they stuck it on that cotton and they sucked it up through the cotton of that cigarette filter. And they took that needle and they pulled all the air out of the needle there and they shook it a little bit and tapped it with their finger and they began to come to my arm with it. And I closed my eyes and I looked away. I was shaking inside. I, I, I didn't know what was about to happen to me. I was, I was really scared about what was fixing to happen. But I wasn't about to back out. I wasn't about to be a chicken. I wasn't about for them to laugh at me and say, Oh, you, you're just a chicken. You won't even try it. But I closed my eyes and I turned my head and I felt that needle go into my arm. And I felt them let loose of that belt and I felt that drug shove up in my vein. And I felt that drug as almost instantly it began to take effect in my body. And I went on a downward plunge of the effect of a drug called heroin or smack or horse, or the street names for heroin. And I sat down in my chair and I couldn't even get up. And I felt so great. In my body I felt like I had no care. I didn't have no problems. This drug had wiped all my troubles and problems away. And I began to take that drug every time I could take it and any other drug that I could take. From that time on, I went from party to party, good time after good time. And you know, I was getting to the place and I was getting to the position where I would do anything just to get me another hit of dope. And they talk about the drug addicts and how that they'd roll their own gray-headed daddy over and hit him in the head just to get his bill full. Well, that was the place that I was getting to. I was getting to the place and I was getting into the position where I would do anything for just another hit of dope. And you know, I went to a, a party one night and we had drank and we had smoked and we had done drugs and we'd had a good time and it was way up in the way hours of the morning, maybe two or three o'clock in the morning and all the drugs had run out and all the alcohol had run out and everybody was uh, sick and everybody was wanting something to do and something to get off on. And this young man named Gail, he approached me and he said, Dale, he said, let's go pop a drugstore. Come on, man, let's go get all the drugs that we can do for a, a month or two. And I said, okay. I said, let's go. I'd never done anything like this before. I'd never robbed any place. I've never held a gun in my hand and, and thrown it on a man. I'd never have burglarized any place. I'd never done anything like this. I'd never been in any trouble before. I was only 19 years old. And Gail and I, we jumped in my car and we went to a place in the wee hours of the morning. We decided we was going to rob this drugstore. And I was scared inside. I was shaking. I'd never done anything like this before. And Gail, he told me, he said, Dale, he said, I've been in trouble before. He says, I've been in jail before. I've been in prison. 
He says, if they catch me, he says, I won't get out for a long time. He said, if, if they catch you, they won't do anything to you. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you rob the drugstore and I'm going to wait in the car for you so we can get away real quick. So I took the tire tool and I walked up to the plate glass door of the drugstore right on a busy street. I looked down the street. The street was real straight on both ends and you could see for a long ways. I looked down the street both ways and I could see no cars coming. So in a run, I took the tire tool and I run up to the drugstore window door and I throwed my tire tool back and I busted the glass out of the drugstore door. And with a pillowcase, I run in as fast as I could go to the back of the pharmacy and to the drugstore. And I took my pillowcase and I began to rake all the drugs off the shelf into my pillowcase. Oh, let's look at the picture of what sin can do. Look at the picture of what the devil wants to do to our young people. Oh yeah, you may say right now, you may say, well, that would never happen to me. Well, let me tell you something, friend. If you ever get out of the ark of safety, if you ever get out of the church, if you ever let the Holy Ghost leak out of your heart, there's no telling what's going to happen to you because the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's after your never dying soul. I rake the drugs off the shelf and I begin to run back to the front door. And I run out into the street and I look both ways to see if there was any police coming. And I run, I took off in a dead run for my car. And I looked around to see where Gail was at and I couldn't find him nowhere. And I finally I just jumped behind some bushes and I waited there. And I hollered, Gail, Gail, where you at? And finally he comes squalling around the corner. And I run to the car and jumped in the car and we took off. And we got away. Boy, I was laughing, I was giggling when I jumped into that car. We got away with it, we got away with it. But listen, you don't never get away with sin. You can't get away with sin. The scripture says that God didn't even spare the angels at sin. But He cast them down to hell. He delivered them in the chains of darkness to be reserved unto the day of judgment to be punished. He didn't spare the old world, but He brought a flood in on the world of the ungodly. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. I'm telling you young people that's listening to this tape, stay in the church. Stay full of the Holy Ghost. Obey the man of God, the one that has the rule over you. Love Him and pray for Him and say, preach to me preacher because I want to be saved but you know we took drugs and we did drugstore after drugstore after that and I began to shoot those needles in my arm and it was time after time I had so many needle marks on my arms that I didn't have a, another place to put another needle mark but you know it wasn't long after this until I began to uh, get strung out on drugs there's what they call a mental, uh, being mentally strung out. And there's what they call a being physically strung out. And then also you can be physically and mentally both strung out on drugs. Being physically strung out means that your body has to have it or you'll begin to go through withdrawal pains. There's an agony and it feels like it's going to eat your insides away when you begin to get strung out on these drugs, these hard narcotics and heroin and morphine, opium, Demerol and Dilata, all these narcotics that we'd got out of the drugstore, we begin to get strung out on them. And I remember I had been going and I was selling drugs. I'd taken the drugs that I didn't want for myself and I was selling them. I was making money. I didn't work a day on a job no more. And the drugs that I wanted to keep for myself, I kept them and did them my own self. But you know, I was at a party one time and I, I didn't have no needle. I didn't have anything to shoot my drugs with. So I borrowed the needle from someone 
And I took that needle and I cleaned it out as good as I thought I could. And then I took my drugs and I began to shoot up. And it wasn't just, but just a few days after that, I didn't know whose needle I even shot up after. But it wasn't just but a few days until I began to get sick. I began to feel weak. And I looked in the mirror at myself. And I started looking at my eyes and I seen my eyes that begin to get yellow. And it wasn't but just a few days after that I looked at my skin. And my skin was becoming yellow all over. I had caught hepatitis, serum hepatitis, which is the most dangerous hepatitis of all. Hepatitis is a, a liver disease. And hepatitis, it, it has taken its toll to the graveyard. Hepatitis will turn your liver into a rock and you'll die. As I looked at myself and as I got sick, I was still strung out on heroin. I was still strung out on dope. Look at the picture of sin now. Oh yeah, the devil, he say, well, there's good times and there's parties. Oh yeah, but when sin is finished, remember what the scripture says, it brings forth death. People that I'd gone over to their house, I was still strung out. I still had to do dope to keep those withdrawal pains from coming. What I was about to do was about to shoot myself to death with dope. The people that had been going over to their house and staying and shooting dope, they looked at me and said, Dale, says, we like you, Dale, but we don't want you to come back over here no more as long as you got hepatitis because we don't want to catch it. We don't want it. One of my friends, he looked at me, he said, Dale, he says, you got tombstones in your eyes. And he tried to make a joke out of it. He tried to make it funny. And he said, Dale, he said, don't worry about it. He said, three out of ten people, they live. And he said, nine out of ten are, are only in a wheelchair the rest of their life. And he tried to make a joke out of it and laugh and make it funny. But it wasn't funny to me, friend. And I was taking the needle every day, still. Every day, I was taking that needle and sticking it in my arms. And I was shooting my very life away. But you know what happened? The mercy of God stepped in on me. The mercy of God reached out and got a hold of me. I went to a party where I was going to shoot some more drugs, where I was going to try to have another good time. And I went to this party and this young man came to me and wanted to buy some drugs from me. And I asked one of my friends, I said, is he all right? Is it all right to sell him some drugs? He said, yeah. I said, sell him some. So I sold him some drugs. And a couple nights later, I come back to the same place and I sold him some more drugs. And I want to show you how the merciful hand of God has saved somebody. Because, see, God sees the beginning to the end. And I'm so glad. But I went to that party again. And when I walked up to the front door, the, the front door was open and the screen was shut. I reached up to grab the handle of the screen door and I opened it up. When I opened the screen door up, I looked in and there was the police inside the house. And I closed that screen door real easy and began to walk away. And the police officer walked over to the door and said, Hey, boy. He says, What's your name? Come here. I said, Dale Davis. He said, You're under arrest. I said, well, What for? He said, For selling drugs to a police officer. I said, Man, I ain't that stupid. I'm not going to sell no drugs to a police officer. I didn't realize that I had, just, I had sold some drugs to an undercover agent. A young man that was an, was an imposter. He was making out like he was just another hippie strung out on dope, but he was a police officer. And I had sold him some drugs. And they took me to the police station and they locked me up. And they, they charged me with two counts of selling drugs to a police officer. 
one count of selling amphetamines and one count of selling barbiturates. And they put me in jail. And I was sitting there in the jail almost to die. Hepatitis. I was six feet tall and I weighed 110 pounds. I was nothing but skin and bones, solid yellow, looked like I was about to die any minute. And I sat in my jail cell, going through the withdrawal pains, going about to lose my mind. See, this is a picture of sin. This is a picture of what the devil wants to do to everybody that's full of the Holy Ghost right now. Oh yeah, you may say within yourself, well that would never happen to me. But if you get out of the church, what would be your story? What would be your testimony if you ever did get back to God? After several months had passed by, the time for me to go to court for my drug charges had come. And I went to the courtroom, and I stood before the judge that day. I do not mind to tell you, my knees were weak. I was weak in my legs. I was afraid of, about what was about to happen to me. And my lawyer, he had told me time and time again, says, you'll never do a day. He said, I'll get you out of it. Just give me the money. So I gave him the money, and I went before the judge that day. And the judge looked at me. And he told me, he says, you're going to get four years, you're going to get five years, you're going to get five years, and I'm going to suspend four years and nine months, and you're going to do 90 days in jail. So I walked out of the courtroom that day thinking I had a victory. I'm only going to have to do 90 days. I'm only going to have to stay in jail for 90 days and 90 nights. And I walked out, and they took me to the county jail. And I went into the county jail, and I, I sat down. And they made me a trustee in the county jail. And I was, I was there 90 days. I could tell you story after story of things that happened in that jail. But you know, the one story that I want to tell you right now is, is this. I was on my bunk one Sunday afternoon, laying back on my bunk in a great big cell block. There was eight men in the cell, and there was three cell blocks like that, and a big long walkway and a place up front where a big steel table was where we sat down and eat our, our meals. And there was a roll of bars there, and only in those bars was only a space big enough so a plate could go through the hole of it. And I was laying back on my bunk one Sunday afternoon, and I heard, heard music playing and somebody singing. And I said to myself, what in the world is that? And I was curious, and I had gone to uh, a denominational church when I was a child, and I believed in Jesus, and I believed in God, and I... I I thought I'd got saved one time when I was 12 years old. I accepted the Lord as my personal Savior. But that don't save nobody. But I walked up to the front of the cell. And I sat down. And I looked up and I seen a woman with an accordion. Long blonde hair. And she was singing. And several other people were with her. And she began to sing. And as she sang, the convicting power of the Holy Ghost came on me. I didn't know what it was, but it, that's what it was. And she began to sing. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And I sat there that day, and I said, you know, one of these days, I'm going to straighten up, and I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to get me a girl just like that, and I'm going to do right. But after my 90 days was up, after working 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night, seven days a week, mopping the floors, sweeping the floors, feeding all the meals to those that were in the jail, after almost losing my mind, Finally, the time came, rolled around, and it was time for me to get out again. And I got out of the jail that day. And as I walked out that day, I said, I'll never come back here again. I'll never make this mistake again. And I walked out of the jail that day, and I told myself, you're going to straighten up. You're going to do right. You're going to quit doing drugs. 
But that night I was smoking pot again. I said to myself, if you can just smoke pot and drink and stay away from that needle, I believe you can stay out of jail. I believe you can have a good time and, and stay out of jail and not get in no more trouble. But you know, it didn't take long until I, I was right back to, to the needle again. I was right back to sticking a needle in my arm. I was right back to the, to the same old group of people that I was with and running around with those that wanted to go rob another drugstore. So we decided, well, we're going to go get us another drugstore. And someone looked at me and said, Dale says, if you want to, says, I, I know where we can go and we can get a bunch of marijuana. And we can uh, go get that marijuana and we can buy it for a good price and come back and we can double or even triple our money. So I said, okay, well, let's go. I said, where's it at? They said, Dallas, Texas. So we jumped in my Volkswagen and we headed for Dallas, Texas. When we got down to Dallas, we got connections with this girl that was supposed to give us the pot and the deal fell through and she couldn't get any marijuana at all. So here we were, we were driving back to Arkansas without any marijuana, without any dope at all, coming back dry, coming back empty. And we got there in Texas and it was raining real, real hard and the wind was blowing. It was late, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And we decided, well, we're going to pull off the road here and get us a motel. So we took the Mount Vernon exit, Mount Vernon, Texas. We was going to get us a motel. But when we got to Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon didn't have no motel. But they had a drugstore. So these two young men that were with me, one of them came with me and we were going to go into the drugstore and the other one was going to wait in the car and be ready to drive. So we walked to the back of the drugstore and the drugstore was set in a perfect position to where we could get to the back door and nobody could even see us from the street. So we walked to the back door and the back door was made out of glass and wood but over the glass there had been boards that had been nailed up on the door. And we tried for a long time to get those nails out of those boards and get those boards off that door so we could break the glass and get in there. But we worked and worked and we couldn't do it. Finally, we got mad and this young man that was with me just kicked the door as hard as he could. And he, he run his foot through the bottom of the door, completely through the bottom of the door. Finally, we just tore the door almost completely off and got inside of the drugstore and got our drugs and took off. We went to Texarkana, Arkansas and we got us a motel. And we shot dope all that night. And that next day, we split our drugs up that night. And the next day, we drove back to Arkansas. How we ever made it back, I'll never know. We were so messed up. It was just a hand of God. But we split the drugs up, and they went their way, and I went my way. I did not know it. I went back over to see these young men. And while I was there, an undercover agent was at their house. And I didn't know it. And they didn't know it. But I left... And then after I had left, the police come in and busted the place and arrested these young men that were with me. And they asked them, well, where'd you get the drugs? And they said, well, we robbed the drugstore. And then the undercover agent, he recognized me, and he said, Dale Davis was with them. And the police made a deal with these young men. They had never been in trouble before, and I had been. And they said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll let you go on probation if you'll sign statements against Dale Davis saying that he robbed the drugstore. So that's exactly what they did. They went free and I went to jail. I was still running around on the streets and I heard they'd got busted. And the police called over to my mother's house. And I went by my mother's house and my dad, he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, Dale, he said, the police called here wanting to talk to you about a burglary in North Little Rock. I said, I ain't done no burglary in North Little Rock. I know what they want. They want to talk to me about Texas. And... 
I went into the bathroom and I tried to get some stuff to put on my arms to hide all the, the needle marks on my arms. And my dad, he looked and seen what I was doing. And he began to weep and he began to cry. And he began to tell me, Dale, you've gone crazy. You've, you've, you're out of your mind on drugs. He said, you need to go down there and turn yourself in. So I began to talk to him and he talked me into going down and turning myself in. So I went down to the police station. And that's what happened. Both of them had signed five-page statements against me saying that I had robbed the drugstore. They let them go, and the, a sheriff from Mount Vernon, Texas, come pick me up at the jail and took me down to Mount Vernon, Texas, to an old jail where nobody was at but me. And I, when I rolled up in the yard, there was one young man in the jail. He was in there, I believe, for drunk. And... He was there a couple days and then he left and left me in a lonely place all by myself. There wasn't no bath. There was no shower in this jail. All I had was a tin pan to wash my face and hands and hair in. And I stayed in that jail for about 115 days. And day by day went by. I had a little pocket radio. And when the batteries went down on that radio, I thought I was going to go crazy because I was so lonely. Because I was in a place hundreds of miles away from my home. Nobody there to visit me. Nobody there to see me. And they would give me a TV dinner in the morning. Then they'd give me a TV dinner late at night. And the devil's lying to all our young people and saying, Come on out and sin. Have a good time. Don't believe them, young people. Stay in the church. Live for God. Live for God. It's the most wonderful life in the world. But days went on, day after day. I talked to the sheriff, and I said, Sheriff, I said, what are they going to do to me? He looked at me, he said, we're going to try our best to get you ten years in the Huntsville Penitentiary. And at night, when the loneliness would come in on me, I'd begin to weep. I'd begin to cry beside my bed. Nobody there but me. Nobody was looking and nobody was listening. And loneliness was taking its toll on my life. I got down beside my bed at night and I began to pray. And I said, God, if you'll get me out of here, God, I'll live for you. I'll do right, God, if you'll just get me out of here. The sheriff done told me he's going to give me ten years. But my mother and dad, they came and see me. And they said, we're going to hire an attorney in Arkansas. And we're going to hire an attorney here in Texas. And our attorney in Texas went and talked to the sheriff and went and talked to the judge. I want to just show you how crooked things really are right now. There's no justice. People can do just about anything and get away with it right now. But that my lawyer, he went and talked to the judge and went and talked to the sheriff and said, we got $1,000. The sheriff says, all right says, if you got $1,000, we'll let him go. So what they did, I had the four years and nine months that the judge had given me before that was suspended. What they were going to do is bring me back to Arkansas and to revoke the four years and nine months probation that I was on. And they were going to give me four years and nine months in Arkansas and give them $1,000 to let me go. And that was a whole lot better than 10 years in Texas. So what happened, the authorities from Arkansas come and pick me up. 
And they brought me back to Arkansas. And they were going to revoke my four years and nine months probation I was on and send me to the penitentiary here in Arkansas for four years and nine months. But the police in Texas had dropped the charges against me. So there was no charges against me, so they could not revoke my probation. So three days later, I was free man on the streets again. And when I got out, I'd remember the promise that I made to God beside the bed in that old jail cell. I remembered the promise that if God would get me out, I would live for Him. So I tried my best to live right. I tried my best to even try to live for God and go to church. But I didn't know the truth. I said, I didn't know the truth. I didn't have the Holy Ghost. All I had was the confession of faith, but I didn't possess anything of God. I didn't have the power to live right. I didn't have the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you today, you ought to be so thankful that God gave you the Holy Ghost, that He gave you the truth, that He let you see the right way. And it wasn't long until I was back smoking pot and I was drinking. It didn't one long after then until I'd got the needle back out and I began to stick it in my arm. Three weeks after I got out of that jail in Texas, I was climbing on the top of another drugstore. I was bound, friend. I was bound by the devil. We climbed up into the top of a drugstore on the roof and went down into the air conditioning vents and went down into the drugstore and got the drugs. We took the drugs and we began to sell them and we began to shoot them all up again, having us another good time. And you know, it wasn't long after that, the drugs run out again. But you know, friend, the Scripture says that every son that he loves, he chastens. You know, in the mind of God, I was his son before I ever received the Holy Ghost. I do not believe in predestination. I do not believe we're predestinated as an individual. But God, he sees the beginning to the end. He knew that I was going to live for him. He knew that I was going to be his son. And he was chasing me. He was getting his belt off and he was about to give me a whipping because I'd broke my promise. I had brought my vow to God. And you know, I went to a drunken party one night. And at this drunken party, these young men walked in and were selling dope. I said, what you got? I said, we got some LSD. I said, what kind is it? They said, orange sunshine. And I'd heard that orange sunshine was the best uh, LSD that you could take, and I'd never taken it before. I said, give me a hit of it. And I gave him, I think, 2 dollars or $3, and he gave me a hit of orange sunshine, and I popped it in my mouth, and I took me a drink of beer. It wasn't long until I looked over in the chair, and this young man that had taken half as much that I had just took, he was going crazy. He was losing his mind. I looked over in the rocking chair, and he sat there in the rocking chair, just a weeping and crying, was losing his mind. I began to feel the effects of this LSD, that, this acid trip that I was about to go on. And I felt when it first began to come on me, I said, this is the strongest acid I've ever took in my whole life. And I recognized that I wasn't going to be able to handle it. I, I, I knew right then I was fixing to lose my mind. I was fixing to go crazy. And it wasn't long until I I'd almost went crazy. And a, a drunken fight broke out at the party where I was at. And I took two young men and I literally threw them out in the front yard. It wasn't that I was so tough and that I was so strong and I was so mean that I, that I was able to whip everybody. But see, LSD does things to you. It speeds up your metabolism about 10 times or even 15 or 20 times more than it would normally be. You see colors. You see things that's not there. You hear things that's not there. In your mind, you've got the memory banks. You've got past, present, and future. What LSD it does, it, one minute you'll be thinking about what's going on right now, and then the next second you'll be thinking about what happened yesterday. 
then the next minute you'll be thinking about what's fixing to happen. And it literally uh, makes you go crazy. And I looked around and somebody had run off with my car and I didn't have my car. And I had just broken up with my girlfriend and I just got out of jail and I was on probation. And I said, would you take me over to my girlfriend's house? I want to make up with her. So this, this young man took me over to where my girlfriend lived and I got out of the car and closed the door. He drove off. I said, hey man, you're supposed to wait on me. And he just kept on going. And I walked up to the front door and I knocked on the door and nobody answered. And I looked around through the window and there was no curtains in the window and there was no furniture in the house. She had moved. And about that time I went crazy. I lost my mind. I went out in the front of her yard and I laid down and I beat my fist on the ground and kicked my feet like a little child. I was losing my mind completely. The things that I can remember is what I'm about to tell you. I lost my mind and I'd come back and I'd lose it and I'd come back. But something told me that she moved across the street. And I walked across the street and knocked on the front door and nobody answered. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I walked around the side of the house and I knocked on the window. And a light come on. And I just went crazy and I started knocking out all the windows with my fist all around the house. And I finally got to the front door and I just literally, the door was made out of wood and glass. And I literally just tore the front door completely off. And slung it back. And a no-color lady looked at me and says, what, What's wrong? What do you want? I said, Where's Carolyn at? She said, Carolyn don't live here. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong place. And I turned around and walked out. She's supposed to just forgive me just like that. I tore her house about half down. She's supposed to just forgive me. So I turned around and walked out. And I'm walking down the sidewalk. My hands are bleeding. And I look down and I'm barefooted. And it began to rain. And I'm walking down in the middle of the street. Now you got to understand I'm on a, one of the, the craziest drugs that anybody can get on. If you'll remember not too long ago, a young lady, uh, Art Linkletter's daughter, she walked out of a several stories of a window thinking she could fly. Well, this was where I was at. I was about to completely lose my mind. And I'm walking down the middle of the street, and all of a sudden I get the thought, this is the end of the world. This is the end of the world. And I begin to look around for Jesus. I said, where are you at, Jesus? I look around. I'm looking for my mom and daddy. I'm saying, well, this is the end of the world. Surely my mom and daddy's going to find me and we're going to go to heaven because one day I confessed him as my Savior and I, I believed. But I'm standing on the street corner of Markham and Chester, downtown Little Rock, just about four blocks from the Little Rock Police Station. And to this day, I don't know whether I just hallucinated this or did it actually happen. I do not know. But two men in white suits walked up and both of them grabbed a hold of my arm. And one of them twisted my arm. And I said, hey man, I said, you don't have to twist my arm. I said, I'll go with you. So he let loose of my arm. And I'm walking down the street with these two guys holding my arms. And all of a sudden I look around and they're, they're not there anymore. I said, hey, where you go? What's going on? And I walked down the street and I sat out on this wall. And it, here comes the police. This cop comes walking up to me. This lady had called the police on me that I tore her house about half down. And this cop walked up to me and says, What's wrong with you, boy? I said, There's nothing wrong with me, boy. And I had a bad attitude towards authority. And I reached up and I hit that cop. And I knocked him down and I jumped on top of him and I began to hit him. 
And another police officer who weighed about 300 pounds reached down and grabbed me from behind and put handcuffs on behind my back. And they began to work on me. Or should I say God began to work on me. God began to give me a whipping. That police officer pulled that, that black jack out and hit me all across the top of my head. Hit me on my eye. They began to stomp me and hit me with their fist. Finally, they picked me up and slung me into the back of the police car. And all this time, I'm saying, where's Jesus at? Where's Jesus at? This is the end of the world. And they slung me in the back of the police car. And I said, where's Jesus at? And this man walked up in a suit. I guess he was a detective. He looked like a preacher to me. And he says, he says settle down. He says, just take it easy. He said, Jesus will be here in a minute. And when he said that, that really convinced me that the end of the world was come. And they took me and they drove behind the police station. And when they opened the car door, I seen a big garage door open up and there wasn't nothing but a concrete floor and a drain in the middle of the floor. And I thought within myself, they're going to take me in there and they're going to kill me. I'd made up in my mind, I had handcuffs behind my back. I'd made up in my mind, the strongest drive that a person has is self-preservation to keep your life. And I thought they were going to take mine. And I said, there's not no way they're going to take me in there. And I believe there was four, maybe five police officers had a hold of me. And I had handcuffs on behind my back. And I was kicking them and biting them and doing everything I could to get away from them. And I finally got away and took off on a run. And they chased me down and got a hold of me again. And finally one of them slung me into that concrete room. And when they did, a police officer come down with a billy club on top of my head as hard as he could hit me. And I believed that I would be dead if I wouldn't have been so wired and so crazy and so wild on that dope that I was taking. It knocked me all the way to the concrete and I laid on my stomach with handcuffs behind my back. My hands were behind my back. And a police officer was standing on my head with his boots. And one of them was standing on my feet with his boots. And this police officer, he was doing his best to grind my head and to bust my head wide open into that concrete. I think about that scripture... Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burdens are light, and you shall find rest for your soul. But see, friend, I had the yoke of the devil around my neck. I'm telling you, the devil is a hard master to live for. This police officer was trying his best to break my jaw. He had his boot on my jaw, and he was grinding it into the concrete. And all this time, I'm out of my mind. And I'm saying to them, you wait till Jesus gets here. You're going to get yours. And finally, they realized that I was going to bleed to death. They'd almost beat me plumb to death. And they finally decided, well, we're going to have to take him to the hospital and sew him up or he's going to die. So they throw me in the back of the police car again. And I don't know what happened then. I passed out. And when I woke back up again, I'm strapped down to a table in the hospital and I'm still expecting Jesus to walk in any minute in a white robe to get me out of there. And I looked at the sheet where I was laying and blood was all over the sheet. And I thought to myself, man, that looks so cool. Look at that. Man, that looks neat. Look at that. But they come at me. I remember I was strapped to that table. And I seen somebody in front of me with another needle. I said, no, no, I've had enough needles. I've had enough needles. I don't want no more needles. And they took that needle and they shot me down. And I went out. And I do not remember anything from then on until the next day I come back to my right mind.
I guess I completely lost my mind altogether because I come back to my senses and I'm riding down the street in a police car and I got a straight jacket on and they're taking me to the nut house to the mental institution. We walked into the mental institution and I was in my right mind now. I'd finally come off of my acid trip. And I walked in and walked up to the desk and they began to ask me my name and my address and all these things and I was able to tell them. And I was standing there and I looked over and on this pillar it had mirrors on it all the way around. And I glanced over and I seen myself in that mirror and I turned back around and then I turned around and I said, Wow! I couldn't believe it. I had a brand new cowboy shirt on and it had snags and double knit pants and it had snags all over it and blood was all over both of them. I looked at my hair and my hair had blood all in it, was matted and had uh, bandages on it where they had sewed my head back up. And they were about to admit me into what they call Rogers Hall, which is a mental institution for the criminally insane. It's one of the most secure places in the United States where no one has ever escaped. And they put me in a shower and give me a shower. And they put me in pajamas and paper shoes. And I'm walking down the corners of this mental institution, which looks like another jail. The bars, rows of cells on my left and rows of cells on my right. And as I walk down this aisle, the rows of cells, I see people that are in there that are crazy, that are mentally insane criminally they have committed crimes against society and they had locked them up in there but finally i get to the end of the row and they open the door to my cell and right before i walk in the cell i hear somebody holler out hey dale and i thought to myself wow who in the world do i know in here but finally they closed the door and locked me in and I climbed up to the top of the bar so I could look over this plastic partition that was between the rows of cells. And when I climbed up to look at the top, there was this young boy that I had known. His name was Don. He was a, a, a drug addict and he had been in Vietnam and he got shell shot and they put a, a metal plate in his head. And he had been in a lot of trouble too and every time that plate would get bumped, he would go crazy. So no doubt he had gotten in trouble and he would bumped his plate in his head and went crazy and they had locked him up in there. And he bought me some candy and, and uh, some cigarettes. And, you know, I sat there in that, that mental institution for about three days. And finally, after the weekend was over and Monday morning came, the, the psychiatrist or the shrink or whatever you want to call him came to my cell and began to talk to me. And I told him, I said, hey... I said, I'm not crazy. I said, I was just on a bad acid trip. I said, everything's all right. I said, I don't belong here. I said, I'd appreciate if you'd get me out of here. I said, there's nothing wrong with me. He said, okay. And about 15 minutes later, they come and open the door. And they said that the police had dropped the charges against me. They had beat me up so bad, they, they almost knew that I was going to file police brutality charges against them. So they dropped the charges against me. So I left there. And I didn't have to stay. And I left and I didn't come back. So I got out of there and told myself again, I'm going to straighten up and do right. But I found myself hopeless, found myself helpless. I was nothing but a servant of the enemy, and I had to do what he wanted me to do. So we started doing drugs again, and someone told me, said, Hey, Dale, says they're going to have a really, really good rock concert up in Sedalia, Missouri. Said there's going to be the James Gang and Ted Nugent. REO Speedwagon and other rock and roll groups are going to be playing up there. says, come on, let's go up there. 
So I said, well, why don't I have the money? So these young men, two of them, one of them was named uh, Guy and one of them was named Dean. And so we got us uh, a little deal. It's a pump like you get on a 55-gallon drum pump. And it had six-foot holes on each end. And what we'd do, we'd just back up to a car and we'd stick one hose in the other car's tank and one in my tank and we'd just pump. And we'd have us a full tank of gas and just nothing flat. So that's the way we was working our way to Sedalia, Missouri to go to this rock concert. So we got to where the place was called Marshall, Arkansas. And we got to Marshall, Arkansas. It was late at night, maybe 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was the 4th of July. And I said, hey man, I said, there's no sense of us going to the rock and rock concert and not having no drugs to do and no money and no place to stay or anything. I said, let's just get us a drugstore and take it with us and have us a good time. So they said, okay. So we stopped in Marshall, Arkansas, and this drugstore that was sitting on the side of the street, it looked so easy that it scared me. So... Dean, he waited in the car, and Guy and I, we walked up to the glass door, or the back door of the drugstore, and it was an old door, and we just took the, the wood out from around the glass and just took the glass out, didn't break it, and laid it on the grass. And as we was taking the door glass out, a, a truck drove by, and we hid ourselves, and we didn't think he'd seen us, but he did. So Guy and I, we climbed into the, through the window into the drugstore, and we finally, we find the pharmacy, it was blocked off all by itself, one door in and one door out. And we got inside the pharmacy and we're looking around for the drugs that we want. And Guy says, did you hear that? He said, there's somebody coming in here. And I said, oh no. I'd never been caught in the very act of doing it before. And it scared me. Here we were inside the drugstore, one o'clock in the morning, and guy says, if it's just one, he says, we're jumping. And we hear another noise at the back door. He says, it's not one. So the only chance we had inside that pharmacy there that was all boxed in and by itself, there was a great big old-timey desk in there. So Guy and I, we climbed up underneath that desk just hoping that they wouldn't look under that desk. And we're sitting there underneath that desk and all of a sudden the light comes on in the pharmacy. And I thought within myself, oh no, how in the world could I do this to myself? And I looked up and a shotgun was right in my face. And the voice said, come out from under there, boy. And we come out from under there. He said, put your hands on your head. We put our hands on our head. And they got, uh, the state trooper had a shotgun and the sheriff had two pistols. And the state trooper said, let's kill him. And I thought to myself, oh no. Now, they're really not going to kill us, are they? You know, they could have. Here we are inside the pharmacy. All they have to say is we resisted them. They thought they had a gun and we shot them. But we're standing there with our hands on our head, trembling. Sweat rolling down our face at about 100 degrees or better in that pharmacy. It was on the 4th of July. And finally the sheriff said, no, we're not going to kill them. I drew a sigh of relief and all of a sudden the door burst open and the owner of the drugstore come running in with a shotgun. Let's kill them. Let's kill them. I've been robbed four or five times. We've never caught anybody. Let's kill them. And all, I begin to shake again and tremble. And finally the sheriff says, no, we're not going to kill them. And they put us in handcuffs and they took us to the jail.
I laid there on my bed in that, that old steel bunk of that jail. And all I could think of is how I was going to break my mama and daddy's heart. You know, many times I thought, well, I'm not hurting nobody but myself. But listen, friends, sin hurts everybody. It hurts you and everybody that you're around. But you know, they took us to court. We were busted. We were tried. We were convicted. And we were sent to the penitentiary in eight days. If I remember right, I was put in Cummins Penitentiary on the 12th day of July. And I do not have time to go into everything that happened to me in the penitentiary. But friend, it wasn't good. When I first got there, they put me on what they call the whole squad or the long line. They give you a, a hole and you get in a squad of men and you got a rider that carries a rifle and a pistol and he, walk, he rides behind you on a horse and he makes sure that you, you cut all the grass out of the soybeans. And you work out in the field to early in the morning till, till the sun goes down. And it's not no fun. It's not any fun at all. You had to work hard. If you didn't work hard, the least you worked, the longer you'd have to stay out there. If you worked hard, you'd get out of the field in three months. If you didn't, you'd probably stay there all the time you was in there. So I worked hard and I got out of that field in three months and I got me another job in the prison. But you know... Even in prison, I was desperately trying to find God. I was trying to find the truth. I was trying to find something that would change my life. I went to the, to the chapel there in prison. And I tried my best to find God. I remember while I was there, a charismatic group come in. And I, went, I felt conviction one time there. And I went down to the altar to pray. And a man walked up to me and tried to get me to raise my hands. To seek the Lord. But I was embarrassed. I couldn't raise my hands in front of all those men. They'd laugh at me. They'd ridicule me. So, as I went and spent my time in prison, I received two and a half years. I spent almost a year down there. And I want you to see how God works. I want you to see a miracle. How that God does work. He he, like I said before, he knows the beginning to the end. And he sometimes he works years ahead of time. So, here I was in prison for robbing this drugstore. And while I was in prison, that four years and nine months sentence that I had that was suspended, they revoked it. So, when I got out of prison, I was going to have to go to the county jail for four years and nine months. So I'm sitting in the lobby of the prison on my last day and I'm waiting for the police to come pick me up to take me to the county jail where my mother was going to be waiting on me for, with an appeal bond and I was going to get out of jail until I went to court again. And as I sat there in the lobby that day, there was a man come walking in and I, I, I recognized who he was and I never really had any conversation with him or anything. Uh, he was a man that was on the board of pardons and paroles there and also on the boards of the prison there. And I'd seen him before when I had gone in, uh, went before this board to, uh, they had classes there in prison, uh, class one, class two, class three, and class four. And 
the number one gets the most good time of all, and then number two, and then number three, and number four don't get any. And I went in before this board and seen this man one time, and I really never even had any words with him. But he walked into the lobby that day, my last day there, and he sat down beside me, and he began to talk to me like I was his old friend. He began to talk to me like I'd known him all my life. And as he talked to me, his name was Mr. Monks. And I talked to him a while, and he, man, he just acted like he was really my friend. And when the police came in and put handcuffs on me and were getting ready to take me to the jail, Mr. Monks looked at me and he said, Dale, he says, I sure do wish you good luck on that four years and nine months. He says, you're going to need it. So I got out of there and I went to the jail. I got out on my appeal bond. And I want you to follow what I'm saying. I got out on my appeal bond. And I said, I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to do right. And I was wiped out on marijuana and, and alcohol before the night was gone. I got a girl and I began to live with her and we began to sell drugs. While I was out on this appeal bond, I was going to have to go to court again for that four years and nine months. And my nephew, he, he lived with me for a while and he was from Dallas, Texas. And we had a bunch of marijuana, about seven or eight ounces of marijuana and I had it stuck underneath my dash in my car. And I was going to take him out to the freeway a little ways and let him out because he was going to hitchhike to, to Dallas. And this girl that I was living with and, and my nephew guy, we went out the freeway. And I dropped him out. And as soon as I pulled over and dropped him out, a state trooper drove up on the other side of the freeway. So, man, I said, I'm not staying around here because he can't cross that medium right here and he can't get me, so I'm leaving. So I took off. And I went down to the first exit, and I turned around. And when I come back by, he had my nephew shaking everything out of his duffel bag. And he was searching him. And I just kept right on going. And I looked in my rear view mirror, and here he come behind me. And he pulled me over. And he stopped me. And I said, I'm not going to go with you, that's for sure. And he looked at me and he says, I said, what? what's wrong, officer? I said, we hadn't done nothing. He said, yeah, you were speeding. So he gave me a ticket for speeding and he talked to me for a little while and it looked like everything was going to be all right. Looks like he wasn't going to search my car. And he looked up on the dash of my car and there was what they call a suck rock. It was a rock with, a, with two ends in it, just big enough to stick a marijuana joint in it. And you sucked it through that rock so you wouldn't get marijuana all in your mouth. And that you could burn it all the way to the end of the joint and not waste any of the marijuana. And he reached up on the dash and he got that suck rock. And he said, what is this? I said, oh, that's just an ornament. He looked at it and he seen the residue on there and it was marijuana residue on it. He said, uh, get out. I said, what for? He said, get out. I want to search your car. So he began to search my car. Me and my girlfriend, we got out and he began to search the car and he didn't find nothing. And he was about ready to let us go and he looked down, he had the door open and he looked down and he seen a little compartment underneath the dash with a little door on it. It was a, a vent door and that's where I had the marijuana. And he reached under there and he opened that little door and he pulled that sack of marijuana out. He said, okay, y'all go get in the car. 
So there he was, going to jail again. Again, I was about to lose my mind. I was trying my best to do anything I could, talk any, say anything I could to try to talk that cop out of taking me to jail. But he took us to jail in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. And when we got to the jail, we were standing out there in the lobby, and the, the prosecuting attorney's office was there in the jail, and he said, come on in here, I want to talk to you. So I went into the prosecuting attorney's office and began to talk to him. And while I was in there, they left my girlfriend standing there in the lobby by herself, the marijuana sitting on the table right by an open door. She snatched the marijuana up and took out out the door and left and got away. When I come out of the district attorney's office, they, they were looking for my girlfriend and they were looking for the marijuana. And I began to laugh. And I said, man, they ain't got nothing on me now. I'm fixing to get out of this one. So they took me upstairs and locked me up in the jail. And I'm laughing real hard. I said, I'm fixing to get out of this one. But you know what happened? The, I called my mother and told her where I was at. And the next day they come to the jail and I'm walking down the stairs and I thought, well, I'm fixing to get out of this and everything's going to be all right. And I walked into the district attorney's office, prosecuting attorney, and my mother had a newspaper with her. And she said, Dale, look here in the newspaper. She says, they just overrode your four years and nine months sentence or five years suspended sentence and they reduced it to four years and nine months. You've got to do four years and nine months in jail. And I almost wanted to cry. I'd been in that jail for nine days. Didn't even have a bath. Couldn't even brush my teeth. I remember one night we was up there in that jail. We were so hungry. We had money, but they wouldn't send after us nothing to eat. They'd give us a bowl of oatmeal in the morning and a cup of coffee, and they'd give us two kinds of beans late at night. And they had an old dumb waiter that they brought food up on just big enough so you could pull the plate out from the bars. And this young boy that was in there, he was real, real skinny. And he was in there for snatching a lady's purse. And we looked at that dumb waiter bars, and we looked at him, and we said, Man, I believe you can get through those bars. So we greased that dude up good as we could with sweat and says, come on, squeeze through there. He done told us, he said, I got, he says, I got that purse down there in the bushes. He says, it's got the money in it. And says, all I had to do is go over here to the grocery store and get us some groceries and come back. So we got him all hot and sweaty and he squeezed right between those bars and went down that dumb waiter and went out in those bushes and got that purse and got that money and went to the grocery store. And while he was gone, this man that was down there, that was a trustee, heard him leave and told on him. And they come running up there and says, You're all under arrest for helping a man escape. Here we were in jail and they were going to arrest us. And they caught the boy come walking down the sidewalk. He had two big bags of groceries. And they took them away from him and wouldn't let him have them. Here we were about to starve to death. But you know, when my mother come there with that newspaper and told me that I'd just got four years and nine months to do in the county jail, I wanted to cry. And the police, they came and gave me, got me from Little Rock and I went to the county jail again. And I'm laying on my bunk in the county jail in a, in a cell. And this, uh, this jailer come walking up to the bars and he looked at me and he said, Hey, Dale, he said, if you'll get you a shave and let somebody cut your hair, he said, we'll let you come out of there and be a trustee here in the jail. 
And you can run all over the jail. You won't have to be locked up in that little old bitty cell. And we'll make a trustee out of you and you can sweep the floors and mop and, and serve the dinner and uh, different things and you can be a trustee. So I said, all right, anything, baby. It's this little old jail cell here. So he let me out and I got a shave and a haircut. And as I began to start working as a trustee, I'd, I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I would sweep all the floors. And then about 7 o'clock, we'd serve breakfast to everybody in the jail, about 150 men, maybe 200. I'd run clothes and money and notes and all kinds of things up and down the stairs all day to the people in the sales and serve lunch and then pour coffee and serve supper and all these different things. And I did that for about six months. But you know, when I finally got thrown back in this jail again, I thought within myself, I said, I wonder if those people still come that play that accordion and sing and testify. I thought that to myself and the first week I was in there this time, a Sunday afternoon rolled around and sure enough, the buzzard on the front of the jail went off and in walked these people. I didn't know what they were. They were, they were Pentecostal people, but I didn't know it. They were wearing dresses and had long hair and had an accordion and their faces were bright and shiny. Looked like they had something that nobody else had. And they would preach and sing and I'd stand in the door. And I stood in the door Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month. And I heard them telling about the Holy Ghost. I heard them talking about Jesus' name baptism. I heard them talking about how that you could have something that you could feel. And the Baptist people, they were there too. And they would talk to me. And I said, well, can you feel it? They said, well, no, you can't feel it. You just accept it by faith. I said, well, I want something I can feel. And these Pentecostal people over here, they told me I could feel it. And you say you can't. So every Sunday when they would come in and they would preach and they would sing. I remember this girl, she would sing. And she would sing, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And you know, when I went to bed at night, that's all I could hear in my mind. Only Jesus can satisfy you. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and walk the floor. Wondering what was wrong with me. Wondering whether I was going crazy. Whether I was going through withdrawals pains again. Or what was happening to me. I didn't understand. Some of the men that were in the cell block with me. They'd say, what's wrong with you, Dale? Say in the middle of the night, sometimes you'll jump two and three feet straight up in, off the bed. I didn't know what it was. But I know what it was now. It was the Holy Ghost. It was the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody was praying. Somebody was seeking God. Somebody was carrying a burden. Somebody cared. Somebody loved. I'm telling you, friend, don't think that your prayers are just weak and anemic. But the Scripture says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. Somebody said that God only does things if somebody prays. And I believe that. But that girl, she had been coming to that jail. And those other girls, they had been coming to that jail for nine years. Nine years. Sunday after Sunday. Month after month. Year after year, they come to jail. They didn't see nobody get the Holy Ghost. They didn't see nobody get out of jail and come to church and live right. No doubt there had been times that they had got discouraged and wanted to quit. And say, God, why don't you give us somebody, God? 
But because somebody held on, because somebody carried a burden, because somebody prayed and said, God, I'm not going to be denied. You know what happened? I was standing in the door one day and I heard him singing, only Jesus can satisfy your soul and the convicting power of the Holy Ghost came upon me. And after six months of listening to that, Sunday after Sunday, I was about to lose my mind. I couldn't stand it. All the ones that were in the jail cells were reaching after me and trying to get me in trouble and trying to get me locked up with them so they could beat me up. The jailers that were in the jail, they were trying to get me in trouble and get me locked up in the cell. These people would come to the jail every Sunday and talk about Jesus, uh, talk about the Holy Ghost, uh, talk about how that you could have something that you could feel that would change your life. Uh, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had four more years to go. Finally, in desperation, I walked to the captain's office and I knocked on the door. And I said, Captain, I said, I've been here six months. I said, I've had plenty of times I could have run off. But I done made up in my mind I was going to see this thing out. I said, if you'll let me go home for a weekend, I promise you I'll come back. Just let me go home for a weekend. I promise you I'll come back. He thought about it a minute. He said, okay, I'll let you go home for a weekend. So I went home, and I done made up in my mind. I had their church address. I said, I'm going to check this church out and see if it's really real or not. Friday afternoon, I got out of jail. Friday night, I was wiped out of my mind. Saturday night, I was wiped out all day Saturday and Saturday night. But when Sunday morning came, I done made up in my mind, I'm going to go to this church. I got up on Sunday morning, took a shower and got ready and said, Come on, Mama, we're going to church. No doubt she must have thought that we was fixing to go to the Baptist church. But I said, No, we're not going to the Baptist. We're going to this Pentecostal church over here. And I walked into this Pentecostal church that Sunday morning and I could not believe my eyes. I've never been in a Pentecost church before. I never knew nothing about Pentecost. When I walked in the auditorium, people were shouting. People were dancing. People were running. People were clapping their hands and raising their hands. And I thought within myself, what in the world's going on here? They're supposed to be quiet. Whew. I looked over and I seen a man that was dancing. And I recognized him. I said, that's the man that come out there to the airport five years before. He had the Holy Ghost. And he had witnessed to us, and we thought he was crazy. And he was doing a dance in the Spirit, and I said, wow. You know, I didn't get the Holy Ghost that morning, but I come back Sunday night. And I, tell you what, I looked around Sunday night and I seen people raising their hands. I couldn't raise my hands, I was bound. I seen a couple walk in on the back seat a little bit later, and I looked at them, I said, I wonder if they got it. A little bit later, everybody raised their hands, and they raised their hands, and I said, yeah, they got it too. I'm telling you, friend, that's what's wrong with so many Pentecostal people right now. Some people, they'll bring somebody to church, and they'll look around and say, well, I hope they don't get too wild tonight. They be dancing and running all around you, and you're standing there like a bump on a dill pickle, and all the time, these people that you brought to church with you are wondering if you got it. They're wondering if you got what they got. When we bring people to church, we need to let our light shine. We need to worship God. We need to get out in the aisle and have us a little Holy Ghost fit so people can see the wonderful power of God, that they can see that it's real and something that will change their life and give them new hope. But you know, I don't even remember what the preacher preached that night. Conviction was on me so much I didn't know what it was. But when the altar call was given...
I stepped out from behind that back pew and I walked to the front. I don't know, there was maybe four or five hundred people there that night. But I done made up in my mind, I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's listening. I don't care what they think about me. I went down that altar and I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to do. But I closed my eyes and I just began to cry out with all my heart. And I said, oh God, set me free. God, forgive me. And I began to weep and I began to cry. And people raised my hands. And you know what happened? God came down and filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. I began to shout. I began to dance. I began to speak in tongues. And you know, I smoked two and three packs of cigarettes a day. But you know what God did that night? He took the desire for cigarettes and nicotine. He took the desire for drugs and alcohol and illicit sex and violence and all these ungodly craves that I had down inside of me. He broke the chains of darkness that were on my soul. He opened up the prison house and He set me free. He gave me a new life. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new mind. He gave me a new desire. He gave me a new life. But the next day, I had to go back to the old jailhouse. I still had that four years hanging on me. I remember early at 6 o'clock in the morning, I had to be there. I walked up and I pushed the buzzard on the old jail. And they opened the one of the doors and I walked in and it closed behind me. And then they opened up another door. I walked in and they closed it behind me. And I walked in and I got my coffee pot out and I began to pour the coffee and begin to sweep the floors and give out the breakfast and all my daily things that I had to do. But you know what? The devil told me. He said, you ain't got nothing. That's not really real. But you know what? There was a bathroom downstairs in the bottom of that jail that was for the trustees. And there was a lock on that door. You could lock yourself in that bathroom. I walked in there into that bathroom and I locked that door. And I got down on my knees. And you know what happened? I began to pray. And I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God give the utterance. And I looked up and I said, Look here, devil. I still can talk in tongues. It is real. It is real. And you know what happened? From that day forward, my life was changed. Even though I was incarcerated in that jail, even though I was still locked up I tell you there was a new man walking in my shoes even though I was feeling the same old atmosphere of sin oh my God I was a free man hallelujah hallelujah but you know it wasn't too long after that after I got the Holy Ghost my pastor Joel Holmes he went and talked to the judge Judge Ackerson and said Judge Dale Davis he's got the Holy Ghost now and if you let him get out of jail, I believe he'd live right. Judge Atkinson looked at him and told him, says, you don't understand. This man, he's been in a lot of trouble. And he's done a lot of things that he ain't never got caught for. And I'm going to see him to it, and I'm going to try my best to see that he does every day of that time. And my pastor walked out and come and told me what he said. said, Dale, he's not going to let you out. So I sat down, and I wrote a letter to the governor. And I said, Governor... I'm asking for mercy and not for justice. I want to know if you'll give me a pardon and let me out of this jail sentence that I'm in. I told him, I said, I just got out of prison and I've been in a lot of trouble. But if you'll let me out, I'll do right. And the governor's office wrote me back again and said, Dale, you wrote the wrong people. To get a pardon from the governor, the first thing you've got to do is write the boards of pardons and paroles. You know who was ahead of the bards of pardons and paroles? 
Mr. Monks was. Mr. Monks was. The one that I sat down and talked to in the lobby. And he talked to me like I was an old friend of his and I never even knew him. God was working away ahead of time. So I wrote the boards of pardons and paroles. And they sent a recommendation to the governor's office. And two weeks after I'd got the Holy Ghost, I got a pardon from the governor. I remember after they told me I'd got a pardon, it was going to be a few days before my release papers would come. And oh, I was praying and I was seeking God. And I remember the last day I was in the jail. I was up on the second floor and I was giving a boy a jailhouse haircut. <laughs> I had about half his hair cut off. And they come upstairs and told me, said, Dale, says your lawyer and your mother's downstairs and they're, they're going to come let you get out. I dropped that pair of scissors at those hair cutters and left that boy's hair undone and I went running down them steps. I went down there and they told me, said, go get all your clothes and everything. Come on, you're going to get out of here. And you know what happened? Oh, it wasn't just the governor giving me a pardon, but God was giving me a pardon. Hallelujah. The grace of God was going to be extended to me. The love of God was extended to me. And you know what? I got out of that jail. This time I had the power to live right. This time I had the power to live right. And you know what happened? The next week, I went back to that jail. But this time... I wasn't going to be an inmate, but I was going to be the preacher there. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that when those people come back to that jail cell again, begin to sing to me, I remember about five years before that I said in the first of this testimony, I said, I'm going to get me a girl like that one of these days, and I'm going to straighten up and I'm going to live right. Well, I did. I married that girl's twin sister. <laughs> Hallelujah. God give me one just like it. After I got out of that jail, I went back and I was the preacher. And I began to testify. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to speak. I just told all those guys in that jail what God had done for me. But you know, it wasn't long. And they closed that old jail down and they moved it to a new one. And we began to have jail service in there. And the first year that we went to the jail service there, we seen over 50, maybe even 60 men receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. God was pouring out His Spirit. And I'm looking for some of those men that received the Holy Ghost to get out of prison. To get out of jail. And to come live for God. In fact, last night, when I was in church, there was a young man that was there that just got out of the Cummins Penitentiary that had heard me preach down there. I'm telling you, friend, God's working a work in this last hour. But He's only going to work through those that know what it is to carry a burden, to know what it is to love, to know what it is to learn how to pray and seek the face of God. And today I didn't just tell you this testimony, the glory and the awful things that I've done, but I tell you this testimony today to help you to understand that our God has not changed. His power has not diminished in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And if we will pray and seek His face and believe Him, He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think according to the power of the Holy Ghost that dwells inside of us. But, oh, friend, if we could reach out and dare to believe God in this evil hour, I'm telling you what God will do. He'll raise up people that have been down and out, people that's been vilest of sinners. I'm telling you, friend, God is a miracle-working God if we'll just believe Him. And as I close in this tape today, 
I don't know where to go. I don't know who will hear it. But friend, if you know somebody that's in trouble, if you know somebody that's in need, if you know somebody that's strung out, somebody that's messed up, give them one of these tapes, would you? Maybe it'll stir them. Maybe it'll touch them. Maybe this tape will help them to see that they really can be free. And friend, I don't know who you are that's going to listen to this. But I've tried everything that the devil had to offer. I tried everything in the world. But just like that song that convicted my heart says, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Bro, there's never been a truer song. Never been a truer thought. Only Jesus. Television won't do it. Sin won't do it. All the pleasures of sin won't satisfy you. But Jesus can. Why don't you let him do it? Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. He'll give you peace. Give you peace. Give you peace, my Lord. Sweet love and joy. And heaven too. Come on. Sure, God's talking to you. Sure, you are to say yes. That's the way. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Come on, sing it again, church. Amen. I believe there's another one that needs to say yes to the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. Come on, some more of you sisters. Come help pray for them. See the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. Holy Ghost night. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, sisters. More of you, come help pray. In the name of Jesus. Who else? You want the Holy Ghost. God dealing with you? Say yes to him. Say yes to him. My God. My God. My God. Oh, he'll give you peace like you never knew. Oh, thank God.